You know, I really enjoy hearing Christian folk share their testimony. It's always great to hear how men and women and young people come to know Christ for the first time as, as Lord and Savior and the circumstances under which this great event occurs. But what I enjoy even more is to hear how God is working day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year in the lives of these same Christian folk. Because Christianity is so much more than a one-off experience. It's, a, it's about a life that is committed to Christ. It's about a life of learning from Him and growing closer to Him as the years pass. And it's great to hear how folk talk about the Holy Spirit hammering and sawing away at their lives and molding them into shape. Or gently molding their personalities so that they become more and more like Him. Theologians have a word for this. They call it the process of sanctification. And at the very end of this year, in this one-off message that I have with you today, in the beginning of a new year, I'd like to share with you a few thoughts on this thing called sanctification, this, this growing in grace, this becoming more holy. It's about becoming more and more as Jesus wants us to be. Call it sanctification. And I'd like to say four or five things about this very, very briefly before we even start. And the first thing is that sanctification is always a work of God. It's God that does it. And it's a lifetime process. It never stops. It goes on and on and on. It's never completed in this life. And God will not stop until he has done in our lives what he wants to do. And God will use everything that happens to us, good and bad, to make us more like Jesus. And I'm going to use as my text a wonderful prayer that comes at the very end of what I believe is Paul's very, very first letter. It's a letter to a church in Thessalonica, and at the very end, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verse 23 and verse 24, Paul prays this prayer, and this is what he says. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So I've called my message this morning, What God Starts, He Will Finish. All through this letter, Paul has been exhorting these new believers in this Thessalonian church to live holy lives, especially as they believed that Christ could come at any time. It's as if Paul is saying to, this, to them this morning, he says, I've taught you all I can tell you about the Christian life and how to live it. Now I'm going to pray that God will make your efforts successful. And I want to assure you this morning that this prayer will always be answered. And it rests upon the fundamental truth in the Bible. And this is this. That all human effort, no matter how valiant it might be, is ultimately unsuccessful unless it is originated, encouraged, and empowered by God's Holy Spirit. So a layman's definition of sanctification may be something like this. 
It's everything that God does in our lives to make sure we turn out like he wants us to. Can I say that again? Sanctification is everything that God does in our lives to make sure that we turn out the way he wants us to be. It's nothing magical, nothing mystical, it's nothing strange or necessarily emotional. Think of it this way, parents, when you invest in your children's lives, you really, really care how they're going to turn out one day. You really care and sometimes you even really worry. You've given them their lifeblood and so it matters more than life itself how your children turn out. And in the realm of the Christian life, then we have God the Father investing in us the death of the Lord Jesus Christ, His Son. And therefore, sanctification is His divine guarantee that He will finish what He starts, that nothing He starts will ever go to waste. It is our assurance that God will finish what He has started. Paul puts it this way in another letter, this time to the Philippians. When he says, being confident of this thing, of this one thing, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite scriptures. Way back in my Bible college days, in the States many years ago, people used to wear a button with this on it. And of course, nobody knew what it was, so you'd always have to ask, which is always a great way of starting a conversation. And of course, this is what it means. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. And what a conversation starter that was. No one here this morning is the finished article. God is still hard at work in us. On her gravestone in the woods near the Billy Graham Memorial Library in Charlotte, near Charlotte, North Carolina, are the graves of several of Billy Graham's team. And the one that I particularly was taken by was the lovely grave of his wife Ruth, who died some years ago. And on this grave, she has inscribed something that she'd seen on a highway in America many years before. It was a sign on the side of the road. And she had it inscribed on her gravestone, and this is what it says. Construction over. Thank you for your patience. Isn't that wonderful? God is doing a wonderful work right now in you and in me. And he will continue it until that day, that glorious day, when it will be completed. That's what sanctification is all about. And what does the text then tell us? Let's have a look at what this text tells us. First of all, there's the person concerned. God himself. God himself is the guarantee of our, status, of our sanctification. He is the guarantee. He is the one who stands behind his promise to make us holy. In any contractual agreement, the terms of the contract are only as credible as the character of the one who's making the promise. And here... Paul uses a very strong term, God himself. Very rarely is that used. God himself, and not only that, he goes on to describe this God, the God of peace. Tremendously powerful and forceful term. Think about this. Exercise can improve your body. 
I should know, but it's, uh, at the moment exercise has gone out of the window just a wee bit. But it's true, anyway. Reading and study and even therapy can improve your mind. Your friends and your family can improve your social skills. But only God can make you more holy. And he guarantees to do this. He is the source and author of all of our spiritual progress. It's impossible to overstate this. So often, and I think so tragically, we creep off into a corner and we try to get better on our own. To become more spiritually minded somehow. And and after a while, we stand up and we say to ourselves, see how much better I look, Lord. I did it all by myself. And God replies with ultimate tenderness and infinite patience. And he says, without me, you can do nothing. But why? What's the purpose of it all? Well, the purpose is to sanctify us, as Paul prays, to sanctify you through and through. To make us holy through and through. That's a very, again, a very forceful way of saying it. The word through and through is actually a single word in the Greek. And it means, the first part of the word means whole and complete. And the second part means at the end. So the sanctification is about being wholly sanctified, wholly complete, that in the end we're going to be everything that God wants us to be. We're not that way yet, are we? Currently, if you're anything like me, you feel a bit fragmented at times. Torn in a hundred different directions. We're incomplete and we're definitely a work under construction. But it's God's clear intention that when we get to heaven and are presented to him in the throne room of heaven, the hammers and the saws will have been put away and we will stand complete before him. A work of art, a masterpiece. So sanctification is a process towards a product. Remember that song we used to sing, some of you will remember, many, many years ago as children. Little by little, day by day, little by little, in every way, Jesus is changing me. How true some of those children's choruses were. That's the way it is, you see, for all of us. Little by little, day by day, God, the master craftsman, is taking his time with his masterpiece. And you and I, never forget, are his masterpiece. It's not the Great Barrier Reef or the Ngorogoro Crater. It's not the Himalayas. It's not the solar systems of this great universe. His great masterpiece is you and me. That's his great masterpiece. And he's going to complete it. He's going to sanctify us through and through. Calvin once wrote that God intends the renovation of the entire man and woman. And if you think renovating an old house is hard work, only God dare ever try to renovate a human life. To renovate, to make new. And that's what it is. A whole new creation spiritually encompassed in a still yet sinful body and mind. That leads us to the next little piece. What's the prospect of all of this? Well, the prospect is it's going to be our whole spirit and body and mind that is going to be transformed. Now, I'm not going to get into the argument that theologians have been having for years and years and years as to whether we're made up of two parts or three. 
There are those who say we are body, and then we are soul stroke spirit, the immaterial part. There are others who say we are body, we are soul, and we are spirit. Not going to get into that. It's a very boring argument. Very boring. I must say this verse does tend to indicate that there may be more than two parts. There may be a third part. But what is clear is that God's intention is for our whole entire being to be transformed. Our body, our mind, our will, our intellect, our spirit, our personality, our desires, whatever else you want to put in there, he wants to change. Of course it starts in a sense with the body because that's that's something God is very, very interested in. God is interested in what we do with our bodies, especially, let's say, in the coming year. What we expose them to. What we put into them. How we look after them. And the scriptures are fairly clear and the scriptures are fairly blunt, as they always are, that when we are using our body, we're always doing one of two things with it. We're either consecrating it or we're prostituting it. When we consecrate it, we worship. When we prostitute it, we think only of sensuality. When we consecrate it, we give to charity. When we prostitute it, it's all about gluttony. When we consecrate our bodies, we do hard work. When we prostitute our bodies, we're lazy. And so on, and so on, and so on. How we use our bodies sets us apart from the non-believer. Whether it's how much we drink and eat in the pub, how we conduct ourselves on the sports field or operate in the workplace. It's our bodies and our behavior that sets us apart because they can't see what we're thinking on the inside. We may have the best of intentions, but they can only see our behaviors. But it's not just the body, it's the soul as well. The soul is the, is, is the heart. It's often referred to in the Bible as the heart, the seat of our personality. It refers to our emotions and the exercise of our will and our, our intellect, our desires, our self-consciousness. Have we consecrated our souls to God this morning? Or are we still holding on to the old heart, the old personality, which is so full, for me anyway, of selfishness and a whole bunch of pride and far too much independence and far too much ambition? What is occupying our thoughts, our soul, this day as we look into the new year? Is it about the mad pursuit of money, the chase after popularity, the chase after resolutions that have absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God, the headlong dive into the world of me, 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 or are we prepared to consecrate our hearts and our souls to the Holy Spirit this morning so he can transform them to do what he wants us to do? And the Spirit refers to that part of us, that part of our personality that ties directly to God. Because it's in our spirits that we commune with Him, we communicate with Him, we pray to Him, we fight our spiritual battles in the Spirit. And it's in the Spirit we draw nigh to God, draw near to Him day after day. So the question is again, is our spirit completely yielded to God this morning? Or is He crowded out by so many worldly distractions? And what's the verdict going to be one day? Well, the verdict is this, this wonderful legal term, this wonderful legal position of blamelessness. This, to me, is one of the most staggering thoughts in all of Scripture. I hope I can get it across to you. Here we have a legal word that means to be totally acquitted in a court of law so that no charge may ever be brought against you ever again. 
Now here on this earth, from day to day, it's only too obvious that those who know us well could really charge us with all sorts of misdemeanors, couldn't they? Frightening regularity, they could tell us this is wrong and that's wrong about us. But they don't. God's goal for us is that one day we will stand before him and he will address all of the courts of heaven. And this is what he will say. He will say, does anyone in the whole of this universe assembled here know of any reason why this person should not enter heaven? And at that point, there will be the loudest silence. Because no one, no angel, no demon, no old or New Testament saint, no one in all of the universe will be able to bring a charge against us at that moment. There will be silence because we are blameless. Boy, that excites me this morning, I tell you. Does that excite you? Because of what Christ did on the cross, we will stand there and there will be silence. We will not be able to be accused. We will be blameless. Blameless. When? At the coming of our Lord Jesus. Here is Paul's hope and his expectation. When Jesus returns, two terrific things are going to happen. Our characters are going to be revealed and our perfection will be complete. We're so far from this now, aren't we? And sometimes progress seems to be so slow. When did you last look in the mirror and say, what's wrong with you? (laughs) Why aren't you making any progress? Ever done that? Sometimes it's as if the Christian life is taking three steps forward and two steps backwards. It's like climbing Mount Everest. And the closer you get to the surface, or the, the, the pinnacle, it just seems further and further away. In the last presidential election in the US, I heard both candidates saying something like this. Are you better off today than you were four years ago? Here's an even better question for us this morning. Are we living more closely to Christ than we were four years ago? Are we a better Christian than we were four years ago? No one's more aware than I am of the the challenges of spiritual growth. Sometimes the, the closer we seem to get, the doubts seem to come. But God's got a reason for this, I think. Maybe someone needs to hear this this morning. God wants us to depend on Him for everything and to stop trying so hard in our own strength. And this has been preached from this pulpit by our pastor so many times, particularly in the book of Galatians earlier in the year. Listen to this. God has designed human life so that it only works when it is lived in complete dependence upon him. Do you hear that? God has designed human life so that it only works when it is lived in complete dependence upon him, when we acknowledge him as being in charge of everything. 
and it would all come to fruition and we will be revealed in perfection at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And the promise is critically important. It's the foundation of the doctrine of Reformed theology, which is called eternal security. The only reason we can truly and confidently say that you can never lose your salvation is that God is faithful. And he will keep his promises. Our entire hope in this life and the next life rests on the faithfulness of God. I go back to that verse in Philippians chapter 1. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. In my mind's eye, I can see something It's a bit vague, but this is how I see it. I see God as a master sculptor in a studio, as it were. And he's working with a pretty rough piece of marble. I'm going to call this marble Rob G, because I better not call it anybody else out there. They may take it wrong. I'll call it me. He's got a hard job, because this chunk of marble is badly marred. It's misshapen, it's cracked, it's discolored and full of deficiencies. It's just about the worst piece of marble God could possibly have chosen. But thankfully, he is undeterred. He is working patiently at this masterpiece, and he's chipping away at the bad bits, smoothing over the rough edges and slowly chiseling his image into this piece of stone, stopping occasionally to polish here and there, And finally, he stands back and he looks at it and he puts his tools down, as it were, and uh, takes a break. And the next morning, he returns to the studio and lo and behold, something's different and something's been a bit messed up. What's happening here, he says. I thought I'd finished this part yesterday. Who's been messing with my work of art? The answer, of course, is I have. Not satisfied with the work that God is doing in my life, life, I've tried to fix it and make it better. I'm the culprit. I'm my own worst enemy sometimes. I do everything I can possibly do to mess up what God is doing in me. Listen to this. God is faithful. He patiently picks up his chisel and he goes back to work. God will never quit halfway. He will never quit until his work in me is finished. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 138. The Lord will perfect that which concerns me. In the New International Version, it says, The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. He will do it. He will do it. I love those words. He will do it. No hesitation. No qualifications. No room for doubt of any kind. He will do it. No, he could do it or he might do it. He might just do it if it feels like it. No, he will do it. So as you face great uncertainty 
in 2018. Because if there's one word that's going to describe my feelings about 2018, that would probably be it. Uncertainty. But there's no uncertainty in what Paul is praying for. Because Paul says, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. And if you truly believe this this morning, it will enormously enlarge and deepen your confidence in God and his plans for you. It will give you a mighty assurance of your own salvation. It will enliven your motivation to work with God on your Christian growth. It will give you a greater perseverance in prayer. It will make you much more patient with and tolerant of others as you beg them to be patient with you. And it will make you hugely grateful for every little step in the right direction.